This morning we're going to continue on with our series entitled Speak of the Devil. This is message number five of six where we're focusing on our enemy, our adversary, the devil, Satan. And so I want to invite you this morning to take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Uh, this morning we are going to be looking at Satan's schemes or his devices, his battle plan. And we're going to unveil that this morning from the Word of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. Now let me set the context for this. In the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul wrote to the believers there that they needed to deal with someone in their congregation. A man had been sleeping with his stepmother, and the church was doing nothing about it. This was a member of the church. Not someone outside the church, but someone who was a member of the church. And Paul told them that as a member of the church, you need to put him out of the church because his behavior is not acceptable to God. Well, they did that. And now the person has repented. He stopped his sin, but there were those in the church that weren't ready to embrace him back into the congregation. That's the context of what we're seeing here in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. So follow along with me, beginning with verse 5. Verse 5. Now, if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather tune, turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. For this is why I wrote, that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. We are not to be ignorant of the plans, the designs of Satan. It was in World War II, General George Patton, who is well known, was battling Rommel the desert fox, he was called, the German general. And they were engaged in a battle. But every move that Rommel made, George Patton countered. And he was heard to cry out at one point, I read your book, Rommel, I read your book. Because Rommel had written a book on infantry uh, and artillery warfare, and so Patton knew every move he was going to make 
before he made the move. So he was not outwitted by his enemy. Well, this morning we are going to turn to a book that is written by God that reveals to us the schemes, the strategies that Satan uses. So we will not be caught unaware. We will not be outsmarted by our enemy because we are going to talk about today the devices that he will use, his schemes that he uses. Now before we do that, I want to set three facts up front for us, kind of as overriding principles. Number one, if you are lost, Satan wants you to remain lost. If you are lost, he wants you to remain lost. Mark chapter 5, verse 15 says this, or Mark chapter, yeah, 5, verse 15. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. That's Mark 4, 15. It's the parable of the seeds or of the field. Satan comes, or the Lord has the seed spread, which is the word of God. And what does Satan do? He is going to come and he seeks to devour the seed so that those people will not receive the seed and be saved. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, in verses 3 to 4, it says this. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world, one of the names for Satan has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. What does the God of this age want to do? He blinds those to the truth. So if you're lost, Satan's desire is for you to remain lost. Principle number two, if you are saved, Satan desires to devour you. Uh, 1 Peter 5.8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, Satan's plan is to destroy you. Make no mistake about it. If you're a Christian, he doubly hates you. He hates you, first of all, because you're in the image of God. Secondly, he hates you because you have sworn allegiance to Christ. And so he wants to just rip you apart. The next thing that I want us to see, principle number three, if you are a believer, he, Satan, and his demons cannot possess you. If you are a believer, Satan and his demons cannot possess you. 
Remember last week we saw in the battle on the cross that Satan had entered into Judas. As a believer, Satan or his demons cannot possess you. Now there's a lot of bad teaching out there on demons and a lot of bad teaching on the devil that is out there. And there's some that will teach that you can, as a Christian, be possessed by demons. You cannot be. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 to 20 tells us this. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? When you are saved, the Spirit of God comes to live and dwell inside you, and you become a temple of the Holy Spirit, whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. And then over in 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, we are told this. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. The Holy Spirit who lives and dwells inside us is greater than Satan He's greater than all the hordes that are aligned with him. So Paul warns us in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 at the end of the verses that we read together. In verse 11 he says, so that we would not be outwitted. This word outwitted is used four other times in the New Testament. He has the idea of someone cheating you out of something that belongs to you. So there's someone trying to steal from you something that you have. What is Satan trying to take away through his schemes, through his plans? He's trying to take away the peace that we have in Jesus, the joy that we have in Jesus, the fellowship that we have in Jesus with him and with one another. He wants to take away from us the forgiveness that we should embrace that we have from Jesus and the victory that we have in Christ. That's what Satan wants to do. Now let's look at his plans and how he goes about it. What are his schemes? Number one, and we're going to walk through various passages of the scripture this morning to reveal all the ways in which Satan works according to God's word. So that we, like George Patton, can say, we've read the book. We've read the book. We know what you're going to do. We can say that to our enemy before he does it. Right? One of his schemes is he creates doubt. We go all the way back to the garden. Garden of Eden. Remember the exchange that he had with Eve. He says to Eve in Genesis 3.1, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Remember, we spent time talking about that and how his, what he's doing there is creating doubt on the part of Eve. Satan is not original. He keeps using the same schemes 
over and over and over again. And so what's, how's he going to create doubt with us? He's going to create doubt through causing us to question our salvation. If we put our faith and trust in Christ, he's going to come and say, I'm not sure you're really saved. When, as believers, we stumble and fall, and we're all going to stumble and fall, he is going to create doubt by saying, if you were really a Christian, you wouldn't have committed that sin. You wouldn't have acted in that way. He's going to attack us in our walk with Christ so he can make us ineffective and so that he can devour us. He creates doubt. Friends, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, all your sins are forgiven. They're underneath the blood of Christ. You are saved by grace. You are kept by grace. There was nothing you can do to earn your salvation. There's nothing you can do to keep your salvation. So put your faith and trust in him. And when you've put that faith and trust in him, don't fall for this scheme of Satan. A second of his schemes is he tempts. He tempts. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5. The Apostle Paul here is talking about in the context of marriage. Within marriage, Paul is writing that, there, that husbands and wives are to be sexually active with one another. And that they are not to withhold themselves from one another. Listen to what Paul writes. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Let me pause right there. If you're husband and wife, and you are not engaging in regular sexual relationships, you must have a great prayer life. Because Paul says that's the only reason you should not be regularly meeting the needs of one another. But he says to them, but then come together. Notice the next words. So that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Satan is going to tempt us wherever we have a weakness. And, and let me tell you, Satan knows where each of our weaknesses are. And he has a plan to trip us up. So one of the things that Satan does, one of his plans, is to tempt us to do things that we no, are not what God wants us to do. The next scheme of Satan, he lies. John 8, 44. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Notice what it says about Satan. He lies. You can't count on Satan to ever tell you the truth. He's going to lie. He said to Eve in the garden, when you eat of this tree, you'll not die. It was a lie. He knew it was a lie. 
So we need to recognize that one of the schemes, the plans that Satan uses, he will lie to us. We see that so much going on in our culture today that the lies of Satan are being embraced. I mean, things that just, that they're astounding at how quickly we have moved away from things that are so plain and so clear. And it's because of the lies of Satan. Satan will tell you, marriage is not just between a man and a wife. It can be between any two consenting people. And wait, it's, it's coming, it's coming. Uh, you're going to be able, in the future, we're going to see a culture that's going to move where people are going to get married to their pets. Because marriage, that's, that's the road that we are headed on if there's not a correction that takes place. The lies of Satan. You can't really know whether you're a male or a female. Lies against the very basis of creation by God. God created them, male and female. As our grandkids were, were little, uh, their parents would say to them, now we want you to know you are a little boy and you are a little girl. You are different from one another. Now, I originally thought, well, that's kind of overkill. <laughs> but not in our culture today. The very basics need to be reinforced because Satan is a liar. Satan not only lies, another one of his schemes is he murders. Back to John 8, 44. There he tells us that he speaks to the religious leaders and he says, you are your father the devil and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. And you will remember a couple weeks ago we traced how Satan has worked through the years to oppose the coming of the Messiah and how that one of the tools that he used was murder. Whether it was murder of the babies in Egypt whether it was the murder of Abel by his brother Cain, whether it was murder of the babies around Bethlehem when Christ was born. No, today, Satan is behind all murders that occur. All of them. He's behind the murder of the unborn in the womb. He's behind suicides. He's behind the violence that is going on in our streets. He is behind when someone is killed just because they're of a different color. He is behind the murder of police officers. Satan is behind all of that. He is a murderer from the beginning. And all murder flows because it's one of the schemes of Satan. Not only is he a murderer, he also is one who accuses believers. Revelation 12, 10. We read there. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, 
Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his kingdom of Christ has come for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before God. He accuses us. Those of us that know Jesus as Lord and Savior, Satan accuses us before God. We see a clear picture of how that goes on in the book of Job. That he, he maligns Job. And he says to God, Job only serves you because you have blessed him so much. And today Satan continues to accuse believers before God. In Revelation 12, he's called the accuser of the brothers. In Zechariah 3, he's even accusing the high priest of Israel before God. And maybe you're here this morning and you have been falsely accused of things. If you have been falsely accused, remember, God knows the truth. God knows the truth. Someone gave me advice a long time ago when I was falsely accused of some things. And the individual said to me, Butch, don't worry about it. Focus on your character. Focus on doing what's right, and God will take care of your reputation. So if you find yourself in a situation where the evil one is behind you being falsely accused, rest assured that as a believer in Christ, God has your back. God is there for you. Not only does our enemy accuse, another of his schemes is he harasses believers. 2 Corinthians 12, 7. The Apostle Paul has a thorn in the flesh that he's asked that God would remove it from him. And he says, God says, or Paul writes concerning himself, so to keep me from becoming conceited, Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Satan will harass believers. Now here's the beautiful thing. God uses the harassment of Satan for our betterment. In the case of Paul, it was to keep him from becoming too big-headed. To keep him from becoming conceited. Now, we don't know what Paul's thorn in the flesh was. There's been lots of ideas. There are those who believe he had seizures that would just come upon him. Those that believe it was a form of an eye disease. And some wildly speculative people have suggested that maybe Paul's thorn in the flesh was a nagging wife. Now... There's no scriptural uh, basis for that that I can find at all. But most commentators believe we're not told what his thorn in the flesh was because thorns in the flesh that we may have can take different forms. But Satan will use that to harass us. Satan harasses believers. The next thing I want you to see, one of his devices, is he disguises himself. 2 Corinthians 11, verses 13 to 15. Paul is talking about false teachers and false apostles there, and he says this. 
For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. See, sometimes we have this idea that if Satan were to appear before us, he would be that crazy character that we talked about in the first, mer- first message in this series. You know, some guy dressed in red with horns and a pitchfork. That's not how Satan's going to come to us. He's going to come to us as an angel of light. And just as Satan disguises himself those who are aligned with him disguise themselves as well. We have preachers. We have those calling themselves to be apostles who are preaching false truths. They're disguising themselves to be servants of God when they are not. And this is part of the scheme of Satan. The next thing I want us to see is that one of his schemes is to deceive us. To deceive us. 2 Corinthians 11.3. Paul is writing and he says, But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Satan is going to attempt to deceive you. Remember, we talked about last week that at the cross... Satan was disarmed. His weapons were taken away from him. So all he has as he attacks believers now are not weapons but schemes. And part of that is to deceive us so that we do not see things as they really are. And that's exactly what he did with Eve and he follows the same game plan today. Another of his schemes is he works signs and wonders. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9. Speaking of the Antichrist that is going to come here to our world. He says, the coming of the lawless one. It's another name for the Antichrist. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders. I want you to know, Satan, as the highest created being by God, is able to work signs and wonders. He is able to do things that would cause us to go, wow, look at that. Friends, we don't trust our eyes, we trust the word of God. You know, oftentimes I'm asked, people ask me questions about experiences they have. How do you explain this experience? How do you explain that experience? And I just politely have to say, it's not my job to explain experiences. My job is to proclaim the Word of God. If an experience lines up with the Word of God, then we accept it. If an experience violates the Word of God then we reject it. Because Satan can do a great many things. On 
when, when Jesus comes back and people are examined by him, there are going to be those that are going to say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do mighty deeds in your name? He's going to say to them, depart from me. I never knew you. They didn't do them in his name. They did them because they were empowered by the evil one. The next way that Satan works is he seduces by pleasure. He seduces by pleasure. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, in verses 11 to 12, and then in verse 15, the Apostle Paul is talking about a very practical thing for the church there. And the practical thing was this. The church is to take care of widows. Part of our responsibility as a church is to care for widows within our body. And they had a role in the church in Ephesus of the widows. Just as we here at Maranatha, we have a role that we keep in the office of all the widows who are a part of our ministry. And a big part of our deacon's ministry is caring for the widows of our church. Well, Paul is writing about something very practical. And he says this in verse 11 and 12. But refuse to enroll younger widows. For when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. And then in verse 15, for some have already strayed after Satan. You know, a a passion for sexual relations is a gift that God has given to human beings. There is nothing wrong with that. Paul is just warning that with younger widows, you don't take care of all of their needs and do everything for them because they may end up being deceived by Satan and their passions will draw them to someone who is not following after Christ. So, he says, Satan can use those passions to seduce us not to follow after Christ. And if I can expand that a little bit as well, I would say to you, one of the ways that we see Satan working and seducing people by their passions is the great problem that we have not only in our country and in our world, but in the church itself and the draw that pornography has upon not only men, but upon men and women. Satan is seducing. It's one of his schemes to seduce us through pleasure. Another way that he works, and I must move quickly here, is he leads us into hypocrisy. In Acts chapter 5, the story of Ananias and Sapphira. I believe Ananias and Sapphira to be believers who just wanted a claim in the church. And so they sold a piece of land. And they came and they said that they gave all of it to the church. The problem was they were lying about that. They didn't have to give all of it. It was theirs while they had it. But Peter will say to Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? 
Hypocrisy is one of the schemes of Satan to get us to pretend to be someone that we are not or for us to say we're doing something when we are not doing it. And then the last of his schemes is he hinders. He hinders the work of God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 18, Paul is writing and he says, because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. We've talked about there is this whole unseen world around us where the battle is going on. And Satan, one of his schemes is to keep us from doing what God would have us to do and to hinder us. And we should not give up easily. When we know that God wants us to do something, we persevere until we have victory. So what do we say to all of this? You can see the schemes of Satan there on the screen. If you could back that up just for a moment again to the various schemes. All right. See all the schemes that Satan uses against us. As far as I can tell, that's an exhaustive list from the Word of God that tells us how Satan works. And Paul says we are not to be ignorant of how he works. So he can't get the upper hand on us. So how do we win? In Ephesians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul tells us to put on the whole armor of God so that we can stand against the wiles, the schemes of the devil. And we are reminded in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, in verse 13, that there is no temptation that will come to us except that which is common to man. And that God will always do what? What will he do? He will make a way of escape. We recognize how Satan is working and we look for the way of escape that God has given to us. Let's not be deceived. In Andrew Lloyd Webber's musical, The Phantom of the Opera, it's a, an opera about a young lady by the name of Christine who's receiving music training from a mysterious musician she calls the angel of music. Christine believes that this is the angel her dying father had promised to send to complete her musical training. We find, however, that this mysterious mentor is really a demented man who wants to carry her away into a bizarre underworld beneath the opera house. The girl who thinks this person is a supernatural agent sent by her father is nothing other than a madman masquerading as the angel of music. Our enemy is masquerading. Be aware of how he is working. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we pray, Father, that you would help us not to be deceived by the schemes of our enemy. 
But help us, Lord, that we will be aware of how he works so that we can be victorious in Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.